I'm proud to be partnering with American Giant, a brand with a remarkable journey rooted in American values. Born from a single iconic hoodie, they embarked on a 12-year mission to produce quality clothing right here in the USA while revitalizing communities across the nation. But there's more to their story. American Giant proudly stands beside the Rescue 22 Foundation, an organization dedicated to enhancing the lives of our veterans. They have crafted an exclusive Rescue 22 classic full-zip hoodie to support this noble cause. Each purchase helps provide a much-needed service dog to a deserving veteran. Discover the essence of American-made excellence, fostering jobs on American soil, and preserving the rich tradition of high-quality American manufacturing. Visit American-Giant.com slash Jack today and unlock an exclusive 20% discount using code Jack at checkout. Join us in celebrating the spirit of American craftsmanship while making a difference in the lives of our nation's heroes. This is the Danger Close Podcast. Beyond the books with me, Jack Carr. Welcome to the Danger Close Podcast, an Ironclad original presented by Navy Federal Credit Union. My guest today is Bear Handlin. Bear played football at Yale before working for Red Bull and then going into the SEAL teams. He is a CrossFit Games competitor and the founder of the apparel company Born Primitive. And now, without further ado, Bear Handlin. Bear, what's up, man? Good to see you, Jack. How are you doing? Good to see you, too. This is awesome, man. Congratulations on everything. Congratulations on getting out of the teams and moving on into this next chapter. Thank you so much. Uh, grateful to be here, Jack. Man, we got, and I got one of your shirts on, Born Primitive, right here. Got a bunch up in the other room. And I want to do uh, also thank you so much because so people send a lot of stuff these days. Like there's, you know, books and knives and guns and whiskey and wine. And people like things just show up. And, uh, and you sent a box of stuff, not to me, but for my wife and daughter. And that really stood out. My wife was like, because she's always opening these boxes, organizing things. And, you know, it's on a, you know, things are kind of focused on, on this side of, of, of it, but, uh, but you sent a box for, for her and my daughter with born primitive stuff on their women, your women's line and all that. And that really stood out to her. And so she, I appreciate it. It's what I wanted to say. Absolutely. Well, I'm glad they liked it. Yeah, man. Yeah. She loves it. Yeah. By the way, she loves the stuff. Always wearing it. Really cool. Her friends at, uh, at tennis and workout are like, what is that? You know? So, so, uh, hopefully we're flying the flag. Absolutely. I appreciate it. Yeah, man. So I, I want to talk about your, your journey to where you are today with Born Primitive. Um, did you know when you went into college that you were going to go into the SEAL teams or uh, military in general? What was your path uh, both into through high school, college, and then into the teams? Yeah, I think for the military angle, it, it that seed was planted in eighth grade. Um, that was nine 11 for me. Um, and, uh, you know, was sitting in class when it happened. And, and I remember going from home, home from school and just kind of thinking about it. I mean, like, yeah, this is, this is what we're doing. Like, there's no questions. This is happening. Um, obviously I was fired up, um, you know, a fired up 14 year old at the time. Um, but, but that's where I got that itch. Um, and then I was thinking about doing it out of high school. I was talking to, you know, Navy recruiters and, um, I had the opportunity to go play football in college. So I kind of made a a drug deal with my parents, you know, they said, Hey, why don't you go get this education? If you still got the itch, then you can always do it when you graduate. Um, so I, I took their deal. I figured if I go play football and have good times, not, not a horrible deal to take. So 
I went and did that for four years um, and then got out of college, graduated and um, it was planning on going right in. I ended up getting a lot of family pushback on the, the you know, the career path I was choosing and maybe the, the dangers that were associated with it. So yeah, because at this point shelved- they've been watching the news for a few years yes. and they've been like, oh, OK. And uh, their son just went to not just any college, but I think Yale. Is that right? Yes. Yeah. I went to Yale University, played a uh, middle linebacker there for, for four years. Man, what did they, uh, what were they hoping that you were going to do? Uh, I mean, they didn't really have anything specific they wanted me to do. You know, I, I was always kind of a, a serial entrepreneur from a very young age. So I, I figured th- they probably figured I would just find something and run with it and go do my thing. Um, but I, I just, I had that itch. I couldn't, I couldn't shake it. So I'd actually shelved the idea for about a year and a half. And they thought I was done. I said, all right, I'm not going to do this anymore. And I had been training with some guys that ended up, you know, going in and I saw them kind of making their way through the, 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 the process and kind of getting out on the other side. And, and it, it really was, um, you know, it, it, I was thinking about it a lot. I was staring up the ceiling at night, you know, thinking about, you know, maybe what I, what I, what I should be doing. So I ended up kind of secretly started training again. I started going to the pool every morning at 6 a.m. and then going straight over the track and running and then doing weights at night. And that's ultimately what actually got me into CrossFit. So I had this underground training system going for about nine months. Um, and then eventually the gig was up with the family. They figured out what was going on when I was going to the pool all the time when before that you couldn't find me in a pool. So um, <laughs> that's kind of, you know, how it came out, uh, came about. And then, you know, as I was getting ready to go into the military, um, born primitive was kind of started as a total fluke. It was not intentional. Um, I, I, long story short, I developed a pair of compression shorts specifically for Olympic weightlifting. Um, for, for those that do like uh, power cleans and snatch, when you, when you do snatch, the bar can, you know, hit your, your pubic bone kind of in your hip crease when you go to like explode through the bar. And, um, so I was bruising that area a lot in training. Um, and we were training three times a day for the CrossFit games and, and really doing a high volume. So, it was making it hard to train the next day if we did the same movement. So I took an old football girdle from college and I cut out the quad pads and I went over to my neighbor who was a seamstress and said, Hey, can you stitch this pad into the front of these shorts, these compression shorts? And, uh, I sat there with, with her husband and we drank a gin and tonic on the back deck while she went in and got fired up the sewing machine and, and sewed it together. And then she, that was it. That was the first prototype. So I, I wore that to the gym two or three days a week. I would just, you know, wash it a bunch and wore it for that lift. And then guys started commenting like, Hey, you ought to, you ought to make that. And I kind of laughed and said, no one would buy this. This is a very niche thing. Did some research and some weightlifting forums and realized that I wasn't the only idiot that had that problem. And, uh, and maybe there was, you know, a possibility to solve a very niche need in the Olympic lifting community. So, um, Learned about supply chain, read some books, and kind of self-educated on how to how to import and get get stuff made from from scratch, and um, got some prototypes made, and uh, and that that's how it was born. Um, that's before the SEAL teams. Yeah, yeah, it was it was like probably a couple months before, um, but I didn't you know really give much thought to timing, um, so I kind of you know incorporated the LLC and you know start selling these things, and then um, I went off to OCS like you know like a month and a half later. Um, and, um, Mallory, our co-founder and, and my wife at the time, um, was a dental hygienist full time. So I kind of had to hand this thing to her, you know, she really didn't have a choice of like, Hey, I'm going to OCS. It's 12 weeks. I'm going to be kind of off the grid a little bit, but you kind of got to run things, you know, in, in, in my absence. Um, and then when I got to 
officer candidate school is actually funny. Um, one of the guys that was there ahead of me said, Hey, if you, if you become the class leader, you get your phone. That's the only way to get your phone because you have to communicate with the drill instructors and stuff and the RDCs. Um, so that very first day, they're like, who wants to be class leader? And, and they make you do like a three minute speech. You, you literally on the spot. You can't uh -huh. think of it. To, All right, stand up, give your speech. And I, you know, was fortunate enough to get picked, but the only reason I was doing it is because I wanted to have my phone no so way. then I could work at night. Um, so, you know, I was doing emails with my suppliers and, and, you know, kind of conducting business, you know, in my barracks when no everyone way. else is shining, shining their boots and getting their stuff squared away. I, I was like, I'm doing emails. And, you know, I had like one bar by this window that I would get, you know, like one bar of service. And, um, yeah, it was, so it was kind of funny. I, it was, I was hustling even in the very, very beginning. Um, and, uh, yeah, that's, that's how born primitive was started. Dang dude. So how, so in eighth grade, did you find out about seals then, or did you find out about seals in high school or college or where did you, where did the seal part of the military inspiration come from? Yeah, I, I don't remember specifically whether it was a movie or a book, but there was a guy in my neighborhood um, that went to my high school that ended up going into the teams. And I remember, um, you know, kind of, you know, idolizing him and, and, you know, thinking about maybe I could follow in his footsteps. And mm. it just, you know, kind of similar to what you were saying before. It's like it's it, I was just drawn to kind of what it stood for, the challenge of, hey, if those if those are the roughest, hardest dudes that's where I want to go and see if I can hack it. Um, and so I kind of had my, my eyes said, Hey, if, if I'm doing this, that's the only thing I'm doing. Otherwise I'm not doing anything at all. So. Okay. And what's, uh, and then during college, you said you were, was it during college or after college, you started to, you saw the people that you knew go through buds and come out on the other side of it. Um, what was that college or right afterward? That was right after college. We had a good little crew um, training in, in Indianapolis together that were all like aspirational to kind of go in and, we were training at the pool and doing like, you know, the drown proofing and tying our hands up and doing all that stuff, you know, thinking we're cool. And, um, and that's when I ended up shelving my, you know, kind of aspirations to go temporarily. And they all went to, you know, uh, basic training and then to buds and they're, they're getting pinned and they're, they're, yeah. they're joining seal teams. And I'm thinking, man, um, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm missing out on this. And, uh, and so I, I, you know, been a couple of years behind those guys, but that's, that's ultimately I had to, I had to just acknowledge that, you know, if you're thinking about something like that every day, and I think this is probably true for anything in life, if there's something you can't kick and it's, it's driving you nuts, um, you, you got to chase it. Otherwise you, you'll regret it, you know, 30 years later, what you could have done when you were, you know, 25 years old and, um, young and, you know, your whole life ahead of you. So, yeah. Were you doing a, were you, did you have a CrossFit gym? What were you doing during those, uh, year and a half out of college? I was, so I was, you know, being a football player, I was kind of just doing meathead stuff, you know, big, you know, heavy weights and explosive lifts, hang cleans and stuff. And it's actually funny. But I mean, you weren't just a football player. You were uh, also a Yale graduate. Um, and uh, so what are, what are you, what are you doing for work? Uh, I was working for Red Bull at the time. Okay. I, I was doing marketing for them, which oh, was nice. super cool. I, you know, a lot of what I learned there has been huge for Born Primitive because I kind of learned about like really cool brand marketing mm. and how to build like a, you know, a brand that stands for something. And um, so that was cool exposure, a great company to work for. Um, and, you know, it's funny because when I was training with these guys, we were doing, um, we were swimming and running together in the mornings and then we would do our own thing at night. And a couple of the guys in these track workouts were just kicking my ass. And we were doing the same track workouts, right? Because we would all do the same workout every morning. I'm like, how are they getting so much better? At, you know, and I'm not a great runner anyway. I mean, I was, I, you know, I'm like 240 pounds. So like, I'm, I'm not winning a whole lot of foot races these days. But um, regardless, these guys, their mile times and mile and a half kept getting better and better. And I was like, not ascending as quick. So 
I realized a couple of them were doing CrossFit at night and I didn't know what CrossFit was. Um, and they said, Hey, you should come and just check it out. And, and from the day I walked in, um, it was in the middle of one of the CrossFit open workouts, which I didn't know what that was, but it was just pure pandemonium. The, the, the gym was packed. Everyone's screaming at each other when a new heat would go. And the coach was like, Hey, he found out I, you know, I college football background. I said, Hey, Hey, I'll let you jump into this workout and test it out when normally they wouldn't. And, uh, and, and I was hooked. Um, so that's what I started doing at night. And that, that definitely helped change my fitness, you know, to more endurance and, you know, be able to run and, and be durable and all that. So that's, it was by total fluke. I, I stumbled into that gym and it ended up actually being a very competitive gym that I joined that I didn't realize. I mean, they were sending multiple teams to like the CrossFit regionals at the time. And, um, they had asked if I want to join their comp competition team to just be an extra body on the weekends. Um, so I would start jumping in on Saturday morning workouts. And then before they know it, they're like, Hey, this guy might actually make our team. Um, <laughs> and then I made their, their a team, um, which was a total fluke. And then, you know, we, we made it to the CrossFit games that first year I competed, which at the time, again, I didn't really know what it was. I just thought it was a cool outlet for me to compete in something while I prepared myself physically for you know military training. So, um, you know, again, kind of a fluke thing, but a, a really fun experience. No way. So by this point, CrossFit games are not just, uh, you know, on the, that ranch in California. They're, they're like a, in stadiums and stuff at this point, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah. This was when it was out in Carson, which was absolutely yeah. epic. Uh, you know, we got to, you know, compete in the tennis stadium and the, uh, the the soccer stadium there. And I mean, the tennis stadium, it's small, but when that thing's packed, you know, mm -hmm. granted, it was packed because they're waiting for the individuals that were coming after us, you know, the, the individual uh uh, division is really what they the fans okay. show up for so we were kind of a little sideshow to warm up the crowd um but uh but it was really cool um and that's when they started introducing like legless rope climbs and uh the uh they call it the worm but it, it was uh, basically the telephone pole that you have to run with and that was the first time that was introduced and now like they use it all the time at, at any crossfit events so it was a cool year i think that that was 2013 uh crossfit games oh man wild so you go into the military the next year then yeah, yeah, I went to Officer Candidate School June of 2014. Where was so, it for you? Was it Florida or was it back up in uh, Rhode Island or something? Up in Rhode Island, yeah. Okay. Mine was down in Florida or something. I think they were, re they were renovating Rhode Island, so everybody went where the aviators went for my, my oh, okay. year for a couple of years there. But uh, So you do that, and you're right out of OCS to Buds. Yeah, yeah, I went straight there. Um, you know, the kind of shitty part about that is, and I don't know if you remember this, but like at OCS, you, you lose, you get out of shape. It's so horrible. Um, we Same would thing get boot camp. one, yeah, both OTS. It, it was camp. horrible. It, you know, you get, we get one workout every morning at like four o'clock in the morning and it was some, some stupid calisthenics and out on the football field. Yeah. Um, and then we actually knew there was, so there was a rule at OCS. And I think it's the same way at boot camp is like, they could only remediate you for 10 minutes every hour. And for those non-military, but remediate, they could like you know, make you do push-ups and sit-ups and mountain climbers and kind of, you know, like punish you for doing something wrong, uh -huh. but they can only remediate us one, 10 minutes every hour. So I would kind of like, in order to way to stay in shape, I would kind of try to purposely get remediated. So if I was walking <laughs> past like a, a chief and a drill instructor, I would like accidentally give the wrong greeting of the day. Like I'd say good morning instead of good afternoon. And it was like 1145. So they'd be like, oh, it's technically, you know, this yeah. the time was wrong. So they'd drop oh, me down man. and they'd beat me for 10 minutes uh -huh. in the hallways. And that's how I would kind of stay in shape. But even with that, um, when I got out there, it was like, you know, I had not gotten to train, you know, before yeah. you get to OCS, you're training three times a day, you're getting massages, right. you're at the pool, you're, you're eating perfect. Like you're, you know what I mean? You become a specimen to get ready. And then you do this 12 week thing where it's like, all right, I got to get out of shape. And then right yep. before you go to the biggest 
you know, trial of your life. So yeah. that was an adjustment. It definitely took me a few weeks to get my legs under me, which was no bueno when you're running in that soft sand. Nope. I, yeah, I totally, totally remember. And then the, yeah, the food at OCS and at boot camp both are awful. I, blo- I blocked out most of boot camp and most of OCS in my mind because it was so useless. Like, I'm like, okay, boot camp, just got to get through this to get to buds. And then OCS, I just got to get through this thing to get back to my SEAL team. Um, but it was not, I mean, I try to find the value in things, but in those two, like, yeah, I totally understand exactly where you're coming from. Uh, if you do get out of shape in those, in those places, cause you're eating horrible and you're just the, yeah, the stuff that you're doing is just, you know, same stuff you would have been doing in 1955, 65, 75. And that's okay, fine. But then you get to buds. Like I'm going back to a SEAL team and I can kind of, you know, jump in and get myself back in, in shape, but you're going right to buds and, uh, and you're doing soft sand runs. And of course that's, unique as far as like what muscles it's using and, and that kind of a, kind of a workout, but they do get you in shape. I, I always, I, I still think this today that any average high school athlete can make it through buds physically. Um, like if you're not at the top of your game, guess what? After two weeks of soft sand runs and climbing those ropes and going through the O course and swims, like if you just stick with it and you're an average high school athlete, you'll get through physically. It's that, that mental part, obviously where you see the guys in some amazing shape quit first hour of hell week. But, uh, how, did you find that when you got there that hey, you got into that running shape into buds shape, uh, fairly quickly just by default? Yeah. I mean, obviously they throw you right into it, but I do remember the first four mile, uh, they, it's the one they rig where like half the class fails. The goon know, squad. Do you think, was the goon and, squad. Is that what they call it when you stay in the back? Well, and- yeah. I mean, yeah. So definitely goon squad, but they definitely pushed out the turnaround like another quarter mile or something. Oh, yeah. And it was like oh, by yeah. design because they want like, you know, uh-huh. half the class to fail the first one. And I remember they pulled us all aside, all the guys that failed and were, they were like, they pulled the officers aside and were like, just so you know, like, you know, statistically, none of you are going to make it because anyone who's failed the first run won't pass. And I remember thinking like, all right, we'll see about that. Um, but also re- acknowledging that, hey, I got to get my legs under me because I was gassed that whole run, you know, uh-huh. in that sand. Um, so, but yeah, obviously, you know, you you get back in, in, in shape pretty quick, but it just was not ideal to be starting behind the eight ball. Yeah. Particularly the academy guys, you know, they graduate in May. Um, and they, they get there pretty much right away and they're, you know, they're in perfect shape. They've done the O course a million times. They've sharpened, they got like eight Uh spare knives at their house and helmets that they can like swap out. You know what I mean? Uh I showed up and like, all right, you're classing up in like three days. And it's like, oh shit. You know what I mean? I was kind of with, with the E-dogs where like, you you don't, you haven't done the O course yet and this and that, which I think is in a way maybe how it should be. But yeah, uh, it's kind of cool. we, We found a way to make it work. That's awesome, man. How was, how was buds for you? Did you, did, uh, did any parts challenge you, uh, any uh, swimming or drown proofing or pool comp or hell week or how did, how was buds for you? I'd say drown proofing was brutal for me. Um, I was a pretty dense dude and I, I got like big, um, like legs. So I, I would sink, I was not buoyant. So, um, when we, when you had to do the float part, I mean, that was like fighting for my life, you know, where some of these other guys could just kind of float there and just bob around and you know what I mean? Where as soon as that part of it, so I had, a, I had, um, to work on that a ton ahead yeah. of time just to be able to have a fighting chance. Um, you know, hell we same experience as everybody else. You know, I got, I got sight and was pretty sick, but was able to grind through. Um, and then yeah, pool comp went to fourth attempt, um, got an absolute, you know, and for those listening, so, that's yeah. all you get, right? The fourth one is yeah, it, right? Yeah. Yeah. They, yeah. You get rolled after the fourth. So I definitely, you know, used a few silver bullets, um, but I was able to kind of, to get through, uh, you know, was, was able to get straight through, um, with, with a little bit of luck. So. 
Nice. Oh man, that's wild. Um, and then no problem. Third phase. And then you go on to SQT and your SQT for you is that that's part of the pipeline at this point, right? So you're in San Diego for it. So you do that for another six months. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's six or seven now. Um, yeah, straight through a lot of fun, obviously still some shenanigans going on, but you know, at that point, as you know, they, they just want to start teaching you some stuff now instead of just beating you down. So that was a great thing to finally start feeling like you're doing stuff that, you know, is applicable to the job uh, you're going to ultimately do. Are you still doing born primitive at this point? Is it, is it still growing? Oh yeah. Yeah. So, you know, obviously born primitive continued, like, you know, it started right before OCS, as I said, and, and that was where it got a little crazy is because, you know, Mallory moved out to California with me, of course, you know, we were married at the time. And, um, so she was running it and, you know, she's a hustler too. And so she would, um, you know, was running out of the house. Um, it was just me and her, ma- mainly her at that point. Cause obviously I'm in, you know, in, in the training. Um, but she would start booking us for these CrossFit events on the weekends, um, to, to be like a vendor, you know, these like little uh, local competitions yeah. or, you know, in San Diego or Anaheim, or even I broke the Liberty barrier a couple of times. I went up to LA for CrossFit events. So, you know, I would, I'd be limping my butt through the doorway on Friday night after a full week of training. And she'd be like, Hey, we got to pack the Jeep. You know, we're, we got to be set up at by six 30 tomorrow in Anaheim. So we got to leave at four 30 or, you know what I mean? Oh. We got to inventory the whole garage and pack the Jeep for, and then, yeah. you know, we'd be working a van on our feet all day Dude. and then you'd get back Saturday night. And then there were sometimes we also had an event on Sunday. So I'd be getting back to the garage, you know, Sunday night, seven o'clock, we got to re-inventory everything. And I'm getting to the serious Sunday scaries that I'm going back to work on Monday, you know, when most of the guys are prepping their gear and getting massages and, you know what I mean? Like they're getting everything squared away for the week, you know, and, and I'm, I'm rolling in like, so, you know, thinking back, like, I, I, I don't think I realized how crazy that was at the time, you know, but, but now that I reflect on it, I'm like, that was absolutely wild. The fact that we were balancing both when I should have been solely focused on training. Yeah. Um, but we were just so scrappy and we wanted to hustle. And we, you know, at the time that was the only way to get your brand name out there was to get out in front of people and speak to customers. Uh, and, you know, we just had the, sh- the, the shorts and just like screen printed t-shirts and hoodies. Like, you know, it wasn't anything significant. Um, but we figured, you know, kind of brick by brick, we could build it. And that was, you know, started with connecting with people, um, you know, in the same space we were in, which in the very beginning was, was CrossFit. So, um, we kind of, you know, that, that was kind of the theme for my entire military career was there was always this huge demand to born primitive, even while I was active duty wow. and finding a way to balance that was, uh, was very difficult. Um, right. as you can relate, cause I know you started writing to the tail end of your career. Um, so there were a lot of light, late nights and early mornings, and I sent some emails for, from some very weird places. I'll put it that way. So, oh man. And, and so you mentioned massage. I never even thought of getting a massage in buds and I, don't, I still don't even like massages today i don't think anybody did back back then you just kind of because i went through in 97 but uh even today I, for whatever reason i just don't i, I wove this into the last book too because there's a scene that happens in a in a russian spa and uh james reese my character doesn't like other people's hands on him and the other guy's like uh, trust issues you know that sort of a thing uh i just never liked other people's hands on me i just for whatever reason i've just always never been that comfortable with it but sidebar. Um, but, uh, so you, you've been, you did, did the military know, or did SEAL teams know that you were doing, uh, had a job on the side or this sort of thing, or were you just kind of doing it and really your wife at the time is, is running it and you're kind of, kind of helping, like, how does that work? Yeah. In the beginning, no, just cause it was so small. Like I didn't even, and I didn't even know the rules at the time. Like mm-hmm. I just joined the military, but once I got, um, you know, stationed out on the East coast, um, you know, I, I, 
talked with like admin department, realized there was a formal process. You just fill out paperwork and the skipper signs off on it. You, you just disclose outside employment. And as long as it's not something that's like taking advantage of what you're doing, you know, in, in the military and leveraging that to like mm-hmm. profit from something else that oh, they yeah. really don't care. And anytime you would get a new skipper, you just have to sign a new version of those right. and, and admin would file it away. So, so that part was really, um, really easy, honestly. I think that the harder part was obviously balancing the actual demand yeah. in the the wild hours and the trips and, you know, always out of town and, you know what I mean, yeah. working out of hotels and, you know, of course, deployments, then you got a nine hour time difference to, you know, seven or whatever, you know, wherever you are and you're doing Zoom calls at two o'clock in the morning on a deployment. Um you know, so that, that That's was, wild. you know, the more, cha- the more challenging part. Oh man. So, so what's your first, uh, work up in deployment? What, what team do you go to? I was at SEAL team two and we nice. just went to, to UCOM or as we like to call it operation enduring per diem. Oh, so, yeah. Uh, operation enduring per diem. Yeah. <laughs> good time. But, uh, but no, no triggers were pulled. <laughs> oh man. So what did you, uh, is it still Germany at the time? We still have a hub there in the Stuttgart, yeah, Stuttgart. area. Yeah. And you go around, do you get to it down to Africa at all? Or there's Africon by that point, I guess. But, uh, so did you get to do some cool trips in, in Europe? Do you get to go up to Norway and do that sort of thing? I didn't do Norway, but we got to, um, go to Normandy for like, just like a little team building trip, which was awesome. Um, and, uh, you know, that was the first time I got to go there and see the cemetery and, um, you know, obviously the beaches and just kind of get the perspective of what, how crazy that was, you know, low tide. I think that beach was like 300 yards wide or maybe even bigger. And that, that first line of cover is, you know, it's to that first berm. And it's like, yeah. can you imagine coming out of those landing crafts and staring at that? And there's no cover anywhere. And you just got to get to, you know, three, 300 meter no man's land run um, yeah. up against a bunch of machine gun nests up on that hill. So that was cool. Um, you know, Switzerland, Austria, we went down to Israel, Croatia, oh, nice. Serbia. Yeah, we were bouncing all over. So that it was really cool. Okay. Um, it was in the winter, so like we got to ski and we did a, a helicopter skydive in the Swiss Alps, which was badass. Nice. Um, so that was just for fun. That wasn't obviously anything official. Okay. Um, so yeah, we, we had a good time. We enjoyed our time out there. Okay, nice. And then you come back. What, what's next for you? So then, you know, as you know, with the officers, we do like our diversity tour. Um, so I went over to one of the boat teams, okay. um, which was on base. So easy transition there and was a, a troop commander for a, for a boat team oh, nice. a troop there. Um, and then we ended up uh, going to CENTCOM and pairing up with a, with a SEAL team out there for, for the second deployment. Oh, nice. Yeah. That's a, that's a, a pretty cool place to go. I think, you know, it's uh, cause you're doing something different. You're learning that asset and now it's a, such a professional career track for people when they come in wanting to do that uh, and get into those boats. And when you're there, I think you have the like CCAs at that point. You have some pretty sweet rig boats yeah. at that point. Yeah. Yeah. And it was, I mean, combatant craft assault, get... combatant craft yeah. medium, I think. Yeah, that's um, right. Yeah. Yeah. But, uh, yeah those, I mean, those you, are some serious definitely... platforms. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I don't, I don't know what the, the horsepower is on those two engines, but um, you know, those, you definitely get a new perspective of what those guys mm-hmm. do riding in those boats, oh. you know, and, and just getting the Pounded. shit kicked out of you. Mm-hmm. Um, because, you know, obviously when, when you're in, in the platoon, you of course get on those boats, but it's not that often, you know, yeah. maybe it's during your right. VBSS block and, you know, a few other things, you know, more opposites, but, you know, but it's not like every day, whereas those guys, I mean, their training every day is of course in a boat because that's their craft, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, the sea state would be shitty, but it's like, well, we got to get it in. So you're just getting absolutely crushed. Um, yeah. So, mad respect for those guys oh, yeah. um and in what you don't see is also the work that goes in before and after the training 
uh, oh, scenarios yeah. because if they came and picked us up and then we went and did VBSS for three hours and got back at midnight, right? Those guys have to post out the boats for, you know, a couple of, maybe an hour or two. And if particularly if something went wrong mm-hmm. and they got to get it ready for us the next day yep. to, to do the next, you know what I mean? So right. some of those guys would stay there and like sleep in the, in the, in the boat barn. So um, those guys are awesome, a mad respect. And, and it was a cool experience for me to kind of see another side of it yeah. um, and, uh, you know, get a, a new kind of leadership challenge. Yeah. We did the, um, the, uh, shipboardings after September 11th up in the, uh, what they called Northern Arabian Gulf, uh, and for the UN embargo. So ships leaving Iraq, like class three tankers, Dow's anything, but leaving Iraq, taking that hard left-hand turn towards Iranian waters. And we had just a few minutes, really, maybe I want to say 15, depending on sea state, uh, to get on those things and turn them around in international waters and then call a prize crew that really knew how to drive these things. Um, but of course it's, Awful sea state. Anytime they're going to make one of these breaks, uh, they have um, uh, Constantina wire, barbed wire strewn about the decks up top, so you can't fast rope. So you do have to come from the water at least at that at that time. And uh, for us, we'd be on the Mark Five, so those were probably gone by the time you got there. But essentially, for anybody listening, like a PT boat type of a thing. And so we'd be on that at least in the bad sea state. And then when we got close enough, we transfer to the rib. But the guys in the rib were on the rib the whole time, just getting just destroyed on that thing. And then when we got close enough, we'd transfer over, across deck over, and then zzz, make that final approach and then climb and get on this thing and turn it around and get it back into international waters. But, uh, but those guys that are in the rib, that no break for them. And then once we got back off the boat, back into the rib, back to the Mark V for us, which is a smoother ride. Uh, but those guys had to ride those ribs all the way back every single night. And, uh, yeah, once again, nothing but respect for those guys taking a beating each and every time they go out. Oh, absolutely. And particularly at night, if you're in the back, you can't see the waves that, you know, like you can't anticipate, you know what I mean? So if you're in the back, you're just strap in and rig for pain, you know? So yeah, absolutely mad respect. Yeah, but he got some cool uh, gear. I think I saw those guys getting some good, eventually getting some good gear. Uh, so hopefully they was there by the time you got there, eventually getting some uh, some dry suits and you know, good you know, calm setups and weapons and better training and all the rest of it because then they'd have to get in a lot of places to and from different uh, facilities where they could put the boats in the water, that sort of thing. So they needed some training with some uh, uh, smaller weapons that they might have to, to use in, in it, on those transits if they got hit or whatever. So it's, uh, it got really professionalized, I think, from September 11th on. You could see it um, see it evolve, which was, was pretty cool. So that's cool you got to do, got to do that a little different. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I think that's the common theme is just like, you know, in both entities, just you're, you're around a very just professional, motivated individual. Um, and, and I don't know if you've experienced this since you've gotten out, but I think that's the biggest challenge is, 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 uh, you know, you lose that, that camaraderie. Um, but also just the, the standard you're able to hold each other to is so different in the military than like in the civilian world. Um, you know, particularly, you know, I run a company and I got, you know, we have like 75 employees. So you have HR. I have to kind of, I have to filter like how I was taught to like, you know, maybe discipline or coach people, you know, because we're, I believe able to be very direct, you know, in, in the previous job, almost probably to a fault, but we're, we all know what the job is and it's like, we don't take it personal, but you know what I mean? We're, we're pretty direct in how we communicate. And if you, I've, I've learned maybe the hard way that if you carry that over directly into running a civilian yeah. operation, uh, it, it might not be received all that well in yeah. certain cases. So got to adapt, got to adapt to the right. uh, operating yeah, environment. Yeah. Of course, <laughs> man. And so you come back from that one. What do you do after that one? 
So that was it for me. I, I was able to do just two deployments. I, I did just under eight years, but just the way it timed up, um, I was getting ready to go back and do a platoon and all the positions were backed up just from the detailer standpoint. And and just the, I had a kid on the way and the position they wanted to send me to was less than desirable for me. I wanted to get back into the, the, the platoon and get back to doing the job. And um, so I had to kind of make a tough decision. I have this growing business that, you know, I think at the time had grown to have 30 employees. Then wow. I got a kid being born in a couple months. Yeah. You know what I mean? I, I, my plate was getting really full and I, I had, I had kind of had the acknowledgement that there's no way I can do all three of those things, be a dad, a business owner, and, you know, be yeah. a service member and do all of them. Well, I think yeah. I, I said, best case, I can do them all at 80%. Uh -huh. Um, and that wasn't an acceptable answer for me. So yeah. I, I kind of had to make that tough call, but it was great experience. I learned a ton. Um, you know, I wish I had, of course, entered the service at, at a more optimal time as far as being able to actually do the job. But as you know, hey. timing is everything. You yeah. can't control that. You got somebody else calling the shots of when, um, you know, when, when the job can be done and, um, you just got to make the best of your situation. So, you know, no regrets at all. Still keep yeah. in touch with all the guys and, um, so much respect, um, for, for what they do and particularly the ones that have actually done the job. Um, but, but for a guy like me, you know, compared to, you know, people like you, Jack, and the guys that have served during, during the thick of it, you know, I haven't, I haven't done a goddamn thing, but still well, very yeah. proud to be a part of it. Man, you stepped up and, uh, and did it and got, got two awesome deployments out of it. And, and it shows, like for you to be able to make that decision, prioritize and, and look at things logically and realize that you were giving 80% to a platoon like that yeah, and then say, okay, uh, that's not acceptable. And to make that decision, because I think a lot of other people might have tried to juggle and seen all three completely destroyed. You know? Yeah, absolutely. And I, and I had to have that that honest talk with myself because... Yeah. You know, I am very type A and, oh, no, I can make it work. But it's like, all right, you're you're barely making two work now because, right. you know, that last deployment I was spending, you know, between midnight and 3 or 4 a.m., that was my Zoom call time mm -hmm. with my, you know, my, my everyone back in the States because they would be during the workday. So I was yeah. like, oh, perfect. I can, I basically can still be CEO. You know, it doesn't <laughs> matter that I'm nine time zones away um, and I can still do the weekly calls with like my ad agency and all that. So like wow. my battle rhythm didn't, wasn't changed. Mm. Um, but then you're, you know, kind of, you know, you're dragging ass the next day because you got three hours of sleep when everyone else was playing video games and getting <laughs> to bed at a reasonable hour in their hotel room. And you know what I mean? Yeah. So <laughs> I was having a little bit of a different experience with it, but, yeah. uh, but again, I mean, that's what you got to do. I think, um, you know, you gotta be a little scrappy and I think sometimes that's what it takes. Yeah. How was, uh, was growth during that time from, let's say OCS, BUDS, SQT, first platoon, what, uh, what is growth of the company looking like during this time? Yeah. So it was obviously started really small, but the cool thing was, you know, we were able, the goal was, and this is just a simple goal that I set out with giving it very little thought, but is we need to double every year. And that's the goal. Um, and I, I set kind of an arbitrary goal for the first year and we hit it like by six grand. We barely made it. So we said, double it, double it, double it. And that's what we continue to do every year, which, which was pretty neat. Um, and, and we, we finally, like the last couple of years, of course it gets harder and harder to double as things are, uh, you know what I mean? That bigger, becomes bigger. pretty exponential. Yeah. Um, you know, the last couple of years were like maybe the, the hundred percent growth thing was less re realistic, but yeah, for the first eight years we were able to double it. Um, and so at, at a point it, it kind of became, okay, this is, I think a real thing. Um, this isn't some side hustle mm -hmm. anymore. Um, and we probably waited a little too long to like really 
realize that. So the first five years, it was just Mallory and I running yeah. it. Um, so it, it took over the entire house. Um, you know, we, every guest bedroom was full to the ceiling with boxes, yeah. the entire our, the garage was our fulfillment center. So we would do orders at night. Um, and, uh, you know, we'd have to restock everything and you'd, you'd have to go up to the, you know, the guest bedroom back corner and find some random, you know, yep. because you'd have to restock the shelves in the garage and it just became totally nuts. Yep. Um, and then we kind of finally realized, all right, I think we can delegate some of this, you right. know what I mean? And that's when we, we, we hired our first employee. Um, and I think it was July of like 20, maybe 2017. Um, okay. no, maybe, you know, no, no, 20, it was, I think it was later than that, but it yeah. was somewhere in there. And, and then, uh, and then before we know it, we started building out a nice little team. Nice, man. So yeah, even, even just with, with merch for, for me, like it was just hats, like we started with a hat, a t-shirt, uh, maybe a hoodie, uh, something else, but, uh, started with that and my wife's doing all of it. I mean, she's a bedroom, same thing, our last house, boxes everywhere, printing machines, labels, you know, all that stuff, getting them to drive into the, the store with the back of her car, just filled with, with boxes, getting into the post office, knowing the uh, person at the post office and UPS store about, you know, first name basis. And, you know, we're giving, oh, yeah. we still give them Christmas card, you know, Christmas gift certificate stuff and, you know, all that, uh, give them a little, little something. Um, but yeah, she, she did all that stuff and it just started to take over. Yeah. Kitchen, living room, bedroom bedrooms, all that stuff. And that's, you know, that's not the, the, uh, the focus of, of this, that's a supporting effort to the writing. And, uh, now it's a lot more than that, 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 uh, that we have on the site, but now we had to outsource. So now it's uh, there's a fulfillment center and, and all the rest of it. So now there's uh, more of a team that's handling all those things. But, uh, for you guys, I can, I can imagine in my head, what I mean is I can picture the boxes stacked up and printing labels and tracking and customer service and, uh, getting that, that product shipped and, and all the rest of it and how insane that is and how busy that is. And, but it's fun. It's cool looking back on that. And that was just a couple of years ago for us. Um, but yeah, my wife did all that work and, uh, that's, it's pretty cool. I want to wish veteran Wally King a very happy 100th birthday and want to thank everyone from that greatest generation, the World War II generation, who fought and sacrificed so much for the freedoms that we enjoy today. At Navy Federal Credit Union, every day is Veterans Day. That's why they're proud to have served the military community for over 90 years. Their employees are part of the community they serve. Many of them are veterans themselves. They serve more than 2 million veterans, so they understand the needs of veterans. They provide resources like Best Careers After Service to help veterans transition to civilian life. They're a top VA home loan lender. They offer award-winning 24-7 stateside member service. Use the hashtag GratitudeMission to thank a veteran and honor their service. Your service inspires ours. Learn more at NavyFederal.org veterans. Insured by NCUA, Equal Housing Lender. Hey everybody, I'm Andy Stumpf, host of the Ironclad Original Change Agents. For over a decade, Ironclad has worked with brands and individuals to create world-class films, series, podcasts, and ad campaigns. In fact, I've been working with Ironclad for the past few years. I was introduced to them on a project through the Navy SEAL Foundation. I've worked with them uh, on a variety of projects, even up here in Montana, long before they proposed the idea of change agents to me. They're the best in their field. And I say that because there are plenty of people out there looking for the best, looking for the cream of the crop, looking for the top of the triangle. And if you're looking for that, 
you need to look no further than Ironclad. If you ever need media by way of film, a series, podcasts, or ad campaigns, they have you covered. You can reach out today and follow them anywhere at This Is Ironclad, the ampersand, and then This Is Ironclad, or visit them online, thisisironclad.com. Again, www.thisisironclad.com. I think it, it makes you appreciate it right and i think yeah. it's good to kind of be um yep. to go through that that um that part of, of of growth um and 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 i think one thing i've tried to instill in the team here is you know obviously you have employees that come in like the last two years you know we get this really nice office building it's air conditioned and it's like soundproof because the f-18s fly overhead oh, wow. so like it's you know it's just a really nice place where the last place it was right in front of the runway where the f-18s would come in on final and the AC like would always break. The, the F-18s would literally rattle the ceiling and set off our alarm. Wow. Um, there was eight of us in one room. I didn't even have a desk. I just had a. Con- I just sat at the conference table. Yeah. Uh, you couldn't, you know, you try to take a call and the F-18s are flying overhead and someone else is on a call. I mean, it was like, you know, it was a little bit rough, but that's, that was, hey, the, you know, that's how that's you awesome. got to do it in the beginning. Yeah. Um, so for the people that kind of come in late, I, I never want to be that guy that just tells like war stories about like the early days, but at the same time, I, I got to, I got to give them a little history lesson sometimes yeah. about hey, like we've 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 gone through a lot to get to what we have today, and um, you know everyone needs to still possess that scrappy mentality, um, that kind of almost that underdog mentality that that uh, you know there are not there are not infinite resources, and and you gotta um, get in, in. There are good amount of resources now, but I think if you get complacent that you've made it, um, you you lose a little bit of that edge. Yeah, man. Uh, what have you taken from, whether it was college or CrossFit or uh, your time in the teams or lessons from from business, either in the early days or from yesterday, that uh, that you're applying going forward as you grow uh, Born Primitive? What um, what what are some of those lessons that uh, that you think about as part of your foundation, or that you pass on now that when people are getting out of the military or just people in business ask you for uh, for some advice? What do you pass on to them? Yeah, I think for me. I, and I was really fortunate to have just a lot of great mentors along the way. You know, I, my parents are awesome. They gave my brothers and I just a great upbringing and, and set a lot of positive examples for us. Uh, and then I, you know, playing sports my whole life, there was always just a lot of great coaches that that acted as mentors mm. um, for me. And I, I think every phase of my life, I, I had that. And and you know, as you mature, you kind of take little tidbits of different people that you you kind of liked about how they led and little by little, it starts forming your own style of how you lead. And and I think, you know, and then obviously, you know, when I got into the teams, there were so many great dudes that I got to kind of, you know, observe and kind of see how they did it. And so many good lessons taught that way. Um, so, you know, when I got, you know, as, as a business owner, um, it's kind of just a big, um, you know, kind of a blend of all of those things over the years that I've been able to kind of take uh, for, from each individual. And it's definitely still a work in progress. I, I do acknowledge that, that coming from, you know, the military into a civilian workplace, um, like you, you do have to kind of change and adapt your style a little bit. And there's definitely moments where like the guy who was raised by middle linebacker coaches and then guys in the SEAL teams comes out, you know, and it's very apparent, like who my mentors were uh-huh. and how they, you know yeah. what I mean, <laughs> communicated. And then I got to realize, okay, they, these people maybe don't have the same background and maybe some of the intense experiences that I've had in, in those environments. So I got, I got to tone it down a little bit, but, but, but I think just, just been able to, to lead 
by by example. Um, and uh, in in you know, Mallory and I were able to do that by kind of setting the foundation of the company, you know, in those first five years before anyone even came on um, and just making sure, you know, everyone's rowing in the same direction and um, knows what the organizational goals are and just what the standard is and, and holding everyone to that standard. Yeah. Was it, was it born primitive from the beginning? Yeah. So it actually wasn't. Um, it was, it was called, so the, the product, the snatch shorts was just called snatch shorts. So the, the original brand was called <laughs> snatch shorts, LLC. Nice. And the logo was a, I had a guy draw this up is a, is a dude snatching a tree and he's a caveman. He's got a loincloth between his legs and he's got an American flag bandana. He's got like big shaggy hair. Like that was our, that was our original logo. Oh, and I'm like, <laughs> do you have a retro shirt or something that has that on it? I do. Nice. We actually, it's our first shirt and our 10 year anniversary is coming up next year. I think we're going to relaunch it. Perfect. And, and everyone keeps telling me that we should do it. And I'm like, ah, no one will buy that. And everyone's like, no, everyone would buy that. Cause that's epic. Um, so yeah, I got it. I got it pinned up on the wall nice. in my office. It was our first shirt ever. Um, but, uh, so you know, that, that was it. And then I actually got kind of a, a lucky break where there was someone from, um, that had founded Hurley. Um, and I'm, I'm embarrassed. I, I can't remember the individual's name right now, but we were on a call in the early stages and he said, Hey, like, I think, you know, you got something going here, but you should consider renaming your thing because he said, what's, what are you going to do after these shorts hit? Right. And I said, well, I don't know what's, you know, whatever it evolves to. And he said, well, exactly. He said, you're, you're kind of pigeonholing yourself by just having that name. Uh, what if you want to get into women's stuff? Well, you know, what if you want, you know, X, Y, Z. And I started realizing, yeah, this guy's right. So we, we very early reincorporated into born primitive and thought that was a bit more of a casting a wider net and we could go, you know, in many directions with that name. Yeah. Why did you choose born primitive? So my brother uh, was one of the early, you know, founders with me. He's kind of a silent partner, but we, him and I and Mallory were kind of chewing on, like, I wanted to, to find something that embodied like the, like innate, like savage, like instinct that, that we had, like, you know, way back in the day, like when you actually needed that for survival. Mm -hmm. Um, and I, and I think like today, modern day, you know, we're, we're, we've all been domesticated. We have these modern comforts and iPhones and air conditioning, things like that, um, that you lose, you, you've definitely lost a lot of that. And of course, like part of that is natural. Like I don't, I don't need to go like hunt for my food or I won't eat tomorrow. You know what I mean? And go to a grocery store <laughs> and buy it tonight. Um, but I, I, I wanted the brand to be about fitness mm -hmm. and, and getting after it. And I thought when you really hammer in a workout and getting after it, um, you tap into that instinct, whatever that is, you almost feel it. And I think you feel it in sports, like if, com you know, combat sports or a contact sports, like in football, I felt like it, it, it unlocked that instinct that, that I know is in there. So we wanted to come up with something that kind of embodied that. Okay. Um, and, uh, I, I gotta, I hate to give him credit cause he's my brother and, um, I don't want to do that, but, but my brother <laughs> actually came up with, Hey, what about born primitive? Nice. Um, and, uh, and we thought it kind of worked and we sat on it for a while and then we, we said, all right, let's, let's roll with that. So, all right, man. And then what, what did you take from, uh, from Red Bull or what have you learned along the way as far as building this brand, um, and making people aware that you exist and that the product is as good as it can possibly be and, and how that contributes to, to growth and goals and, and all that. What's, uh, what, what are your, what are your lessons on marketing or what are your, what's your, your perspective on, uh, on that sort of a thing, marketing, advertising? Yeah. I think the biggest thing with Red Bull that I learned was that they established like what the brand pillars were and every employee like kind of knew those things, right? And, and everything had to re re eventually resort back to one of those pillars or like mm -hmm. they weren't going to do it. Um, and so so I think as far as like being consistent with your message, that was a big thing I learned from them. 
and also just like seeing how much they push the limits of mm. marketing. Um, you know, a lot of brands would just pay to be a title sponsor of an event. Mm-hmm. And and it's like the, you know, Visa presents, you know, whatever event, right? Or, you know, American Express. And they just put their title on it and they cut a big check. Or Red Bull was like, no, we want to produce our own events and and they literally will be a Red Bull owned property. Mm-hmm. And then we will own all the content. We'll license the content. It'll be a huge marketing initiative because it'll get tons of visibility. So I, I think they were the one of the first to be like, well, no, you know, one of the examples was called Red Bull Crashed Ice envision like a bobsled track through a city except you put like hockey players that race down (laughs) it on ice skates with bumps and curves Uh and you know like it's contact and you know what i mean and so they would go into a city and say hey we want to shut the city down for a week and build this like basically a bobsled course and we're gonna race guys down it and and we'll you know we'll shut the city down and we'll film it and it'll be on it'll be streamed on espn you know what i mean so it wasn't like oh there's this event let's go sponsor it that's cool they're like oh no we're gonna build this from scratch and they would come up with the event idea um and then they i don't know if you remember this when they jumped uh, Felix from the uh, stratosphere yeah. for, it was called the Red Bull Stratos project. And, wow. and I was an employee when that happened. And that was just so wild because, you know, NASA started getting in the mix because they realized what Red Bull was doing and, and they thought maybe they could extract some SOPs from like, if a, if an astronaut had to like bail at like 120,000 feet in the, in the atmosphere. Um, so to, to witness that and then to watch it happen like live stream when you're like, I don't know if we're going to witness a guy dying on, on live you know, YouTube right. right now. Um, but so I think it just opened up my eyes to like, this is honestly the pinnacle of how it's done. Yeah. And, and, uh, but, but brand consistency is a big one, knowing what you're all about and then staying true to that, yeah. which is something, you know, born primitive, I think, we have done a job of we've we've stuck to our guns from the beginning of what we stand for yeah. um and i think it's a big reason why people have become so like diehard about the brand over the years man so what uh when you're watching that happen didn't he up there in that strategy do i remember it was some, a little off like the, the 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 first the jump that he went off a little bit out of an angle that wasn't expected and everyone's like oh my gosh and it ended up working out for anybody who hasn't seen it yet but yeah, no, I think he did was slightly off a little bit on on the exit, but a cool like backstory from this. And I wasn't, I didn't get this told firsthand, but Felix was telling the story because they did a test jump at like 102,000 feet and he went up in the capsule, the whole deal. And obviously like anyone who's skydived before, like you immediately get that relative wind when you leave the aircraft, right? And you feel it and, you know, um, and then, you know, as the relative wind changes, you can, you know, move in the air and turn and all that stuff, right? So and he, of course, was a very experienced skydiver as well, but he had never jumped from 102,000 feet. And up at 102,000 feet, the air is so thin, there is no relative wind. Like, no matter what, even if you're going like terminal velocity, you don't feel any relative wind yet because it's so thin, right? So when he jumped out of this uh, at 102,000, he, the, the earth was so far away, it wasn't appearing to become any closer, and he had wow. no relative wind. So he actually thought he was drifting off into space oh because he didn't he, he didn't he didn't realize Jeez. he was moving even though he was going like 300 miles an hour That's whatever crazy. terminal velocity is at that altitude. So then and then little by little, you know, as he got down and the air starts to thick and he starts, you know, feeling, you know, that he has inputs on his hands and feet and he can move, <sighs> you know. So but how wild would that be? You think Insane. you're just doing a test jump and you're like, "Hey, did we miscalculate yeah. something with gravity or something?" Yeah, I might because you're the first guy to do it. So you, I mean, gosh, and of course you've seen yeah. all these movies and people are floating off, and yeah. that is crazy. Um, so and then they went up to I think when he did it, it was 130 thousand feet. But the the cool thing with that is there was a dude that was his mentor that did it in like the 70s for the mm-hmm. Air Force. 
Oh, wow. Um, and I think it was like, you know, at around a hundred thousand feet, but oh, wow. that was like way before all this fancy equipment. I mean, this, they were like, Hey, we need a volunteer. Like <laughs> wow. we need to test, like doing evacuating from these super high altitude aircraft. Like Jeez. I'm guessing it was like the spy planes and yeah. stuff. Um, wow. so this guy rogered up to like be the guinea pig and, <laughs> um, and then he was the kind of the, the project lead, um, mentoring Felix as they ascended higher and higher for these test jumps, which is pretty badass. Yeah. That's wild. I mean, we talk about staying on message and having pillars and that sort of a thing. Um, not just floating around from one fad to the next or trying not to offend anybody. Like you don't really, it doesn't seem like you're too concerned about offending anybody um, with uh, what, what you post and who you uh, associate with. And as you're building this, this thing, it's like unapologetic. I think that's the word I'm, I'm looking for. Um, is that intentional? Or is that, is that you or what's uh what, what is your, your vision when it comes to uh, dealing with social media, dealing with people who might be trying to undercut you or, uh, or the brand because of what you stand for or your background? What's, what's that like? Yeah. Yeah. It's been an interesting journey. I, I think, you know, the, the, the brand ethos were established, honestly, it, it just kind of, kind of became an extension of my values because it's like, it, it would be too hard to kind of manufacture a brand and then kind of inject these personality traits. Like mm -hmm. if it wasn't you, because yeah. then, you know what I mean? It oh, just yeah. made sense. I get it. Hey, this is how I was raised. This is what I value, you know? Um, you know, I've always been a patriotic kid, you know, from the Midwest, um, you know, work your butt off. Don't make excuses. You only get what you earn. You know, those are things that I were taught. So it was like, okay, naturally that should be the brand stance. Um, and, uh, I guess when you're one of two, you can, you can make that call early on, you know, cause there's nobody else you're, right. you're working for. Um, so that's kind of, you know, the, the, kind of the, the, the guardrail that we set and I, I will say, um, you know, particularly a few years ago when things got a little crazy, that was the first time we really got tested as far as like, Hey, are you going to stick to your guns? Or are you going to waver? Mm. Um, and, um, and, and fortunately, you know, kind of cooler heads prevailed and, and we, we, we stuck to our guns. Like, hey, this is who we are. If you don't like it, you know, if you have a problem with the million police officers that honorably serve our communities and you're going to do this mass, um, kind of stereotype of, of some people that, that, you know, maybe did, did things wrong. Right. I mean, we, there's, there's bad apples in every, every batch. Right. Um, we were not going to alienate the other million police officers um, because of some unfortunate events, right? That, that of course, like brought a lot of visibility to to that. Um, and I remember, you know, during the heart of the riots and stuff, we had planned way out. I mean, this was like planned nine months before we were launching like a new Thin Blue Line collection. Um, and that was always something that we donated a, a good portion to a charity that supports the, the, the fallen uh, police officers. It, like it supports the families, it helps the kids with tuition and and. Uh, of course, the, the 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 husband or wife with you know things around the house like a very good organization that yeah. would is not controversial at all and we'd always done that and we had this new blue line collection coming out again that was planned nine months before and people are coming to me and say hey do you still want to launch this like we might get absolutely fried you know what I mean and we had to have a conversation and you know fortunately there's a few members of my staff a retired SWAT officer and then. Uh, a few, you know, wives of police officers and another a former police officer as well. And they kind of brought me in. They were like, hey, like, if this is what we're all about, then like, what's even the conversation here? And it was a really good, like, you're right. Like, so we, nice. we moved out on it and we, we um, you know, th that there's been moments like that, even when we launched our Don't Tread on Me shirt, which again, you know, Jackie, you know, that goes back to our naval history. Yeah. Um, you know, we wear that on our uniforms and yeah. it, I hadn't even thought that like people might try to twist this as something different. 
Um, so when we launched our Don't Tread On Me shirt, which by the way is our number one selling shirt. Nice. So for, the pe- for the people that have an issue with it, you know, yeah. put that in your pipe and smoke it. But, <laughs> uh, but you know, that was another one where it's like, yeah. you know, people are chirping. But I think what I've realized, Jack, is that you don't need to speak to everyone. Um, you know what I mean? If, if you're true to you, if you stick to your guns and you're true to your word, um, you will get more of a loyal following. Um, and if you try to speak to everyone, you're gonna speak to no one. So, so pick a lane, uh, run in it, be proud of that. Um, and, uh, and, and I'm never going to apologize for supporting our military or first responder communities or being proud of our country's history and everything that we enjoy today because of, you know, all the things that have done in our past. And of course, there's some things that, uh, we all acknowledge, you know, we're wrong. Um, but I think we, there's been a constant um, desire, you know, by every generation to improve it for for the for the next one, right? And I think that's been done. Um, and you know, we were talking earlier about the best defense foundation and going back to you know Normandy and those those ninety five hundred year old guys, right? That um, you know haven't been back to that beach since they were nineteen years old, I and mean, they're they're back on that beach and they're you know telling us stories about. Um, you know, the, the, the buddies they lost, you know, maybe even in their arms and they're, they're walking through the cemetery. Like, I think we need to remember that kind of stuff, right. And acknowledge that the bad things, but also the sacrifices that give us the tremendous freedoms or, you know, go to Gettysburg, right. And walk those fields, Oh yeah, you know, and it's just, it'll humble you up real quick as you know. Um, so, so that's, you know, that's what we've been all about. I think it's worked well for us. Um, and you know, I think there was moments where maybe we were a bit cautious or a bit timid, but you know, we're coming 10 years in, um, I'm very confident now in our brand position. I'm, I'm not, I don't worry about the few Instagram comments anymore where early on I was way more sensitive to it. Um, and, uh, kind of a natural progression. Um, so, so we're, we're, we're rocking and rolling right now and we're proud of it. Nice. I love it. Unapologetic. This is Jack Carr, and I want to talk to you about Schnee's boots. If you followed me for a while, you know what a big fan I am. This pair right here is the same pair that I've been wearing for over a decade now, and these are the ones that I wear when I want to come out heavier than I went in on a backcountry hunt. So I uh, love these things. They are absolutely awesome. And I have a bunch of different kinds of boots. They're pack boots. Um, and to go check them out at schnees.com, S-C-H-N-E-E-S.com. Schnee's Mountain Boots are handmade in their Italian factory located in the foothills of the Italian Alps. Each boot is made from the absolute highest quality materials available, from the fine leathers to heavy-duty hardware and Vibram outsoles. They only sell direct to you without the middleman markup. This means they can put higher quality materials and craftsmanship in every boot, so you get more boot for your money. They are also all backed by Schnee's industry-leading customer service and support. When you call them, you'll talk to someone right there in Montana that actually wears the boots. So be sure and give them a call. They have a lot of options out there. Find the right boot for you. Definitely check them out. If you head over to Schnee's.com, S-C-H-N-E-E-S.com, you can score up to 30% off your new pair of mountain boots. You heard that right. You can save 30% off any pair of regularly priced Schnee's Mountain Boots. Use promo code JACK23, J-A-C-K-2-3. That's Schnee's.com, S-C-H-N-E-E-S.com. JACK23 is the promo code. Enjoy those boots. We took our youngest 12 to Gettysburg this summer, and uh, it was it was amazing. Uh, I read 
um, uh, Killer Angels uh, years ago. Wanted to reread it before I went there this summer, but so much going on. But anyway, Killer Angels, if people haven't read that, they should for sure read that book and go to Gettysburg and, and walk those fields. But we met in December of 2021 and going back to Pearl Harbor, Best Defense Foundation. Uh, you guys sponsored, were one of the sponsors of, uh, of that. And Best Defense Foundation, founded by Donnie Edwards, NFL, whose grandfather was at Pearl Harbor. And Donnie just wanted to, during his time in the NFL, just started taking World War II veterans back to the battlefields on which they fought. And now after he's retired, he's continued to build Best Defense Foundation. So we got to go out there together. My daughter was with us and take these veterans. We had 60, I think we had 62 or three on that trip, I want to say. It was a big trip because it was the 80th uh, anniversary commemoration events. And uh, for her to sit there across the table from these guys, age like 95 to 103, and hear their stories. And remember Jack Holder, who who passed away um, a few months back, but he was a mechanic at Ford Island working on um, a uh, essentially what was a a float plane that had uh, dropped torpedoes and he sees these planes coming over the mountains, dropping down and then strafe the runway. And he showed us where he jumped into this ditch that then was a sewage ditch, but uh, now it's just, just dry, just the ditch showed us the bullet holes still in the runway, still in the hangar. And then he jumps up, runs to the edge of the water and looks and sees these planes bank drop and turn into the Harbor and drop the first torpedoes um, uh, of the war in Pearl Harbor. And he went on to become a pilot and then sink a Japanese submarine in the Pacific, help sink a Japanese aircraft carrier. And then they sent him to the med and he sunk a German submarine in the med, like amazing. And my daughter's hearing those stories from him firsthand over breakfast, over lunch, over dinner. And uh, it was just invaluable, I think, for her to spend that time with those guys and not just read about it or watch it in a movie, but to really hear it from them, to really humanize it and personalize it. And uh, that was amazing. That was a cool trip. That's where we first met. Yeah, it was such a cool experience to, to talk with those guys. And it, you just, you see how different it was back then. You know, some of these guys were like, you know, faking their birth certificates. Yeah. And, you know, it's it's such a different perspective now. You know, I hate to yeah. say it, but like that's, that I don't think that flies now. You know what I mean? <laughs> and, and uh, you know, so, you know, some of these pilots, I think they were 18 years old and their first mission was a combat mission coming off of an aircraft carrier. It's crazy. In a crazy situation out in the Pacific. Like, can you imagine that? You know, yeah. 18, 19 year old kid and that's it. You know, yeah. you're getting thrown right to it. Or with D-Day, you know, some of the, some of the, um, the, the, the guy's static line jumping in, right. They had never done a real static line. Right. And that's their first jump. All they had done was like the PLF training, you know, jumping from like an eight foot platform and that was it. Uh, you know, and then there it is, they're over Normandy getting shot at and, you know, missing the DZ and just scattered behind enemy lines. I mean, it's, it's crazy when, when you really think about that, yeah. that wasn't that long ago, you yeah. know? Nope, wasn't. And uh, then we got to go there. Yeah, June of 2022, we went again and uh, went with Donnie and Best Defense Foundation back to Normandy and those beaches you were talking about earlier. My daughter is sitting there, standing there next to an old World War II Jeep, and they're all lined up there on the beach. And she's standing there next to a guy who's sitting in the passenger seat of one of these World War II Jeeps looking at the beach where he was one of the first or the first guy out of his landing craft to run up the beach. And she, and he's telling her this story and I have pictures of him. I'm trying to sneak some pictures, you know, not interrupt, but sneak some pictures with my, my phone and uh, just see her uh, just, just nowhere else, 
She's not thinking about her phone. She's not thinking about friends or school. I mean, she is right there and you can tell the way she's looking at this guy as he's relaying the story to her generation, to her. And it was, it was really special. It was really cool to see. And then she got to give a speech at the, at the cemetery and, um, and, uh, sort of a lot of the other world war II veterans, but she gave one of her perspective from her generation. And it's just really cool for those guys to have a touch point with her generation and for her to have a touch point with them and, uh, yeah, life changing. So, so thank you. That was a long way of me saying thank you to you and born primitive for, um, for being such a strong supporter of best defense foundation. And I know they're not the only ones that you guys support. So thank you for all you do there. Absolutely. Yeah. When, when Donnie's crew emailed us a few years ago, um, you know, I get a lot of random emails that I'm not able to respond to all of them, but one, that one stuck out when they told me what their mission statement was and, um, you know, what a cool and unique thing um, that they're doing. And of course the heroes welcome, they give them with the water cannons and the, Amazing. you know, at the airport, they got like the marching bands, and, you know, mm -hmm. such, and all the guys are in their, they're all uniforms, which yeah. is super cool. Um, you know, they do the gala the night before, like it's, it's just so well done. And yeah. those guys for six or seven days are just, um, you know, they're just ecstatic to be a part of it. And, and, and of course for us, we get just as much out of it as they do because we, we get that kind of reflection on, on what it all stands for. And, um, the people that have gone before us. Yeah. And it was really cool. Cause you were still in, you had like a month left maybe or something at that time or. It, yeah. I think I was just on the tail end. Yeah. Tail so end. I, I was, yeah, I was still, cause I remember on the, at the ceremony, I, I wore my uniform. Yeah. For you, had, the you had the uniform on. So yeah. for those guys to see you in that uniform, uh, especially you. So if anyone's not list, is listening and not watching, um, bear is a specimen of a human being. Uh, so for them to see you like this Thor type character with a trident, you know, on right there, like that was really special for them to have you in uniform there with them. I, I could see that. That was really special for uh, for them, and I, I know for you as, as well, so that was pretty cool. Um, but speaking of Bear, where did Bear come from? It's just a nickname from a super young age. I think I, I started getting called that when I was three or four years old okay. from, from my, my parents, so that's kind of my, my name unless I'm in big trouble. Uh, nice. Tim is my real name, but 99% uh, of the time, uh, you know, God willing, it's, it's bare. So but nice. yeah, that's it's really fitting. Then. That's yeah. I mean, it's yeah. super fitting. So from a very, that's a very early age. I thought like it was like you, <laughs> Hey, this kid, Oh, bear. Like, uh, he looks like one at age zero, essentially, you know, one minute. Um, but, uh, yeah. Okay. Gotcha. Early on. I love it, man. That is wild. So it's workout wise. So you got, um, cause with this, are you just doing your own workouts these days or do you guys have some sort of a, uh, like it seems like a natural thing for you to have is some sort of a workout component. I know you're doing some stuff with, uh, um, uh, what Kafaru and, uh, Aaron Snyder over there. Um, but, uh, what's, what's the connection to the workout world at this point or to the training side of the house? Well, training side of the house for me personally, I just kind of wing it. You know what I mean? I, I kind of take a, a hodgepodge of kind of the stuff I did in the football days and some of the CrossFit stuff and, and, and do a, a, you know, somewhere in between on that. Um, I probably honestly should get on some real programming, but I've been around it long enough that yeah. I can, I can get by with just walking into the gym and kind of knowing, all right, I, I okay. haven't done, you know, squats in a while. So we'll do heavy squats or this or that, or I'm going to get my heart rate up today to get, you know, okay. my metabolic conditioning in. So, but not to say that's like the, the right way to do it, just given my time constraints. I got to get in there and get out and yeah. just try to hit it five days a week. And honestly, just try not to, you know, get out of shape. Um, but, but from the apparel side, obviously the, 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 the core of our brand started in fitness apparel. So, yeah. um, you know, probably still 60% of our stuff is, is around, you know, getting in the gym and getting after it. And we've branched out to 
athleisure apparel. And then with, with Aaron Snyder, we have born printed outdoor now, which is awesome. Um, you know, extended field stay gear. So base layers, mid layers, outer layers, puff jackets, all that stuff. Uh, and then we're launching born printed tactical officially here next month. So nice. it'd be basically, be, um, I was sick of getting issued op camis that were not, um, that were not legit. Um, and the guys were always bugging me that, Hey, why don't you do this? And of course, you know, I was still active at the time and we right. were only fitness. And I was like, man, I'd love to, I just, I wouldn't know where to start and I don't have time for this. Um, so on the tail end of getting out, I kind of realized, Hey, I want to take a, I want to take a run at this. Um, mm-hmm. because obviously being, being the end user, I think I can design it well. And then knowing about apparel, if I combine those two, I think I can, you know, we could put out a pretty cool product. And we also had kind of had the benefit of having a bunch of guys that could test it and, yeah. you know, give us, you know, really, you know, um, honest feedback on, Hey, change this, or, Hey, this pocket needs to be here, this uh-huh. and that, or, you know what I mean? Oh, this pocket won't fit a dip can. So it's gotta be wired. You know, like little things <laughs> that's like important that. right like, there. Yeah. Okay, yeah. Like these are, these are, these are important features that mm-hmm. maybe the, the big brands, you know, that maybe have some guys pretty far removed from wearing kit every day and, 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 and kicking doors and are, are missing. So yeah. we saw that as an opportunity. So we're nice. really excited to be launching that um and uh next month so man that's why didn't you that's a lot that you have going on like that's a lot of product uh the fitness side of the house the for for men and now women and now outdoors and tactical and apparel lifestyle like that's a lot a lot of different apparel going on yeah you know the way i saw it like fitness was our core but you know by expanding into born print outdoor and born print tactical it allows us to unlock audiences in new new areas Mm -hmm. right um, and, and of course you want to be a little careful, like building a business by doing that too quick. Mm-hmm. But I, I, we, you know, we were at like the eight year mark and I was like, all right, we've, we've locked this down I and mean, we need to open up additional avenues of customers. And that yeah. was kind of a very deliberate uh, decision. And then also that I left out was, uh, we're launching our, our, our shoe. Um, oh, nice. and, uh, yeah, in, in, uh, so I think September 14th is the launch date. So that was a long time coming. And again, it was one of those things I always wanted to do it, but since I was active duty, I was like, that is such a huge undertaking. Uh. And a shoe is such a technical thing. I was like, until I kind of find a subject matter expert that I trust that can help me design this, like I'm not even going to take a shot at it because I I feel like a shoe is one of those things you get one chance. And if the first one sucks, like people aren't going to come back and buy the second version. Right. So after, you know, we've been at that for about two years um, and we actually all the employees and some people got the, we got the batch in early. So I've been wearing it for the last few weeks and training my butt off in it. And I'm so stoked that, um, I think we nailed it so that hopefully, you know, we've entered into another vertical with footwear as well. No kidding. And, uh, man, so, what, so it's a shoe for like for the gym or what's the, what's the, the shoe? Yeah. Kind of a cross trainer meant to be for the gym, but I wanted to also design it in a way that if like, if you wore it outside the gym, you're not going to look like a total dork. You know yeah. I mean? So, whereas some gym shoes, like not the case. Um, but, uh, but yeah, meant to be, you know, cover if you are just doing normal strength training, that's totally fine. But if you're doing something a little more dynamic mm-hmm. or, you know, doing track intervals or box jumps or burpees, anything else where you're moving around a little bit more, mm-hmm. um, it'll accommodate for that. Um, I, I hate the fact that I used to have to change shoes when I would go to the gym, you know, I would, I would do my strength training and then, you know, I'd go to a conditioning workout or a track workout. And I have, you know, I'd have three pairs of shoes in my gym bag. And I said, let's try to create a hybrid that, that can cover down on, on the different disciplines. Man, that is awesome. Um, and what's, uh, so what's ahead? Like you've been building this thing and you got the outdoors, you got tactical, you got the shoe, you got all these things going on. Like when you look at the next 10 years as you're creeping up on this 10 years, what's, uh, what's ahead for, for you and for, for born primitive. I think, um, you know, definitely the, since outdoor and tactical are still kind of in their early 
you know, infancy or, you know, tactical technically launching next month that, you know, we're going to give those a lot of attention and help them grow. And obviously the, the Savage one, our training shoe, um, the, you know, kind of those are, I think our three newborns that are going to yeah. require a lot of attention. Okay. Um, and, uh, you know, we're, we're going to try to get into some government sales for the tactical and outdoor stuff, yeah. which is a huge opportunity. Um, you know, there's a, there's a lot of, um, demand, you know, obviously from, from the military and law enforcement, uh, side of the house that yeah. needs good gear. Um, so, so to get in that lane opens up a, a huge opportunity. Um, and we'll probably run with that for a while. You know, we were entertaining, taking on a, our first ever investor, um, this last year and the deal market kind of got crazy. And, um, so, so I think in the next few years, we'll definitely entertain, you know, maybe taking on an investment, but mm -hmm. you know, one thing I'm really proud of is, is, you know, we, we bootstrapped this whole thing from the beginning and, and I'm, I'm, I'm realizing that pretty much every brand we compete with has raised money three or four times. And, you know, some of these brands that we compete with have raised over a hundred million dollars to date. Mm. So it's, you know, it's like, man, <laughs> imagine what I could do on the marketing front if someone had mm. given me a hundred million bucks, you know what I mean? Yeah. So it, it kind of goes back to, I think the DNA of the brand that, that, you know, maybe we didn't have massive financial resources in the beginning, but we, you know, we were scrappy and, and we, yeah. we, we found a way to, you know, to, to achieve some traction. Um, and now we're kind of standing there right there with some of these other brands that, you know, now these founders probably own, you know, five, 10% of their own company. Yeah. Um, and we're still hundred percent, you know, family owned, which is pretty sweet. And, and we answer to no one. That's another big thing yeah. is a lot of these brands hate to say it. You start seeing them do some weird stuff that might look like it's counter to their DNA and you're scratching your head and say, Hey, what's going on here? They used to be like this. Mm -hmm. And what that is, is now they're getting influenced by the private equity guys that are, are, that are now on their board seat and yeah. telling them they have these mandates of you're doing X, Y, Z. Um, so, you know, I think that'll be a, a something we'll want to navigate in the next few years. There are a lot of good that can come from those investments with, with finding the right partners that can put you in touch with the right people and, and, you know, be a strategic partner, not just, you know, giving you money. So um, that'll be a big one for us, but yeah, just just to continue to do what we're doing and and uh, and hopefully you know acquire customers, build out these new platforms, and in 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 the process, staying true to who we are. Awesome, man. Awesome. And it's bornprimitive.com. People can go and link to the socials from there. It's just it's born primitive on Instagram, right? Very simple. Yep, at born primitive. Man, that yeah, fantastic. But man, hey, thank you for for all you do for our veterans, particularly our World War II veterans through best defense, what you do for, uh, military right now, uh, active duty and veterans, firefighters, police officers, first responders, uh, and staying true to those, uh, core ideals and tenants and true to yourself as well. So, uh, it's a, a great example for people that are starting businesses, whether they're coming out of the military law enforcement or not, but, uh, man, appreciate, uh, appreciate all you do brother. And, uh, I'm fired up for what's ahead. Absolutely. And likewise, I'm, I'm fired up to see what you got cooking over there too, Jack. So thanks so much for having me. Um, I really appreciate it. Of course. Of course. Hopefully we'll link up in uh, person again soon. Absolutely. All right. Take care, brother. I've been a fan of Black Rifle Coffee Company since their inception. I love when veterans leave the military and pursue their passion. In this case, coffee. The coffee is fantastic. And as an added benefit, the company is built on quality, patriotism, and giving back to the veteran and first responder communities. I've been a subscriber to the BRCC Coffee Club for years and love it. My favorite is Silencer Smooth. It gets delivered every single month. The Black Rifle Coffee Club. Being part of the club gives you the power to elevate your coffee experience to the next level. The Black Rifle Coffee Club puts you in the driver's seat. 
You pick the texture and the roast you want, the frequency you want it delivered, and the quantity. You get to completely personalize your club orders, ensuring that your favorite coffee is sent to your door exactly how you want it, when you want it. Right now, Black Rifle Coffee is offering an exclusive opportunity for new coffee club members. Join today and enjoy 30% off your first order when you use the discount code DANGERCLOSE at checkout. That's right, 30% off just for being a part of our growing coffee community. Remember to use the discount code DANGERCLOSE at checkout. Welcome to the gear highlight portion of the Danger Close podcast. This shirt right here, Born Primitive. Check them out, bornprimitive.com. They're a big sponsor of the Best Defense Foundation. You've heard me talk about Best Defense Foundation before, but go check Born Primitive out and Best Defense Foundation, and that's bestdefensefoundation.org. Also, check this out, Badass Workbench, badass-workbench.com. They made this workbench for me, put the cross tomahawks in there, and this thing is solid. So they make a lot more than just workbenches of this size, so be sure and check them out at badass-workbench.com. And... Fort Knox safe over there in the corner. Absolutely love that thing. Check out Fort Knox as well. All right, what else do I have here? This right here, Six Hour P320. This one right here is from True Precision. And so got the red dot optic on there. And they also, if you can see that, let's see. Uh, yep, they put the cross tomahawks right there for me. So True Precision, check them out. They do work with the P320 and P365, but solid crew over there. So check them out, True Precision. And Matt Graham stopped by the other day. He does Aries watches right here. And he, he heard me talking on a podcast about uh, those army figures that uh, we used to play with in the 70s and 80s. And he had some made, some casts made out of Sterling silver. So if I ever need to, I can melt these guys down or use them as trading pieces. But uh, anyway, Matt, thank you so much. Matt always comes up with the best gifts. Very thoughtful and creative. So that was very cool. So Matt, thank you, my friend. And this arrived. I am excited to check this out. P-A-R-D, PARD. So this is a thermal scope right here. And I'm going to get this on a rifle soon and put this thing through the paces. But from what I have seen, this thing is going to be pretty sweet. So uh, P-A-R-D, PARD, check them out. And I'll get this on a rifle soon and I'll report back. So thank you guys. That is awesome. And also, so I went on a hunt a couple years ago here in Utah. I used my dad's old 3030 that he got back in the 50s, so a pre-64. And look at this. So I was, but the whole time I was worried about dinging it up. And, uh, and so I wanted to get another one. So I did. So my buddy Tim Clement found this for me. And uh, Winchester bottle 94 right here, 3030. Look at that. And he took it to Nelson Ford out in the Phoenix area to check it out and make sure it was working and good to go and, and set it up like this for me. So uh, Nelson Ford, thank you. I've had some 1911s worked on by Nelson in the past, and he does amazing work out there. And Tim, thank you so much for, uh, for all the effort you put into this. It is sincerely appreciated. Very cool. And what else? Go Ruck. 
So uh, Ryan Mannion, thank you. Uh, check out the Travis Mannion Foundation. But uh, she sent me this with uh, uh, with Go Ruck. So Go Ruck, I'm gonna put some weight in this thing and start carrying this around the mountains up here. It is well past time that uh, that I do that. And thank you. This thing is obviously very well built because it's going to carry some weight. So, uh, so Ryan, thank you. Go Ruck. Thank you. And be sure and check out the uh, Travis Mannion Foundation as well. And that's it for today. See you next time. Thank you for tuning in to the Danger Close Podcast, an Ironclad original presented by Navy Federal Credit Union. To find out more about Bear and Born Primitive, be sure and go to bornprimitive.com. Follow them on the social channels for there. It's Born Primitive on Instagram. And stay tuned for what's ahead. You can follow me on the social channels at Jack Carr USA. Officialjackcar.com is the website. Click on shop in the upper right-hand corner for the merch. And if you enjoyed this conversation, be sure and leave a five-star rating and review wherever you get your podcasts. Until the next time, Take care out there, stay safe, be strong, keep fighting.